Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare, and today's program is a continuation of the previous one. In the previous one, I was talking about the fact that the angels, or some of the angels, of course, rebelled against God. And I mentioned that I don't think that God created the angels for the purpose of rebellion. I don't believe that that's what he really wanted them to do, but that he gave them the choice, he gave them the option to rebel if that's what they wanted to do. Now, certainly, I believe he was well prepared for that. And so when they did rebel, he followed through and he took advantage of the situation. He made use of the situation. In the previous program, I was explaining that the suffering that we experience because of their rebellion is something that he has been able to take advantage of. In the previous program, I mentioned a few verses in this context. In this program, I'd like to mention Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, to give you an example of the benefit that the Lord is able to experience, even though there has been tremendous cost related to the suffering that we have experienced here in this world. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So he starts with tribulations, which leads to perseverance, leads to character, leads to hope, leads to love. But this requires the tribulations, which usually means that it requires some suffering of some kind. Does God need to create suffering in order to give us tribulations? Absolutely not. He can use what the devil has propagated, what we do to ourselves. He certainly has plenty to work with. He does not have to interfere with our lives or invade in our lives and participate in our lives in a way that he causes tribulations and suffering. He doesn't need to add to that. He can use what we have, although we do have a number of examples that show that God can certainly do that if he wants to. But the point that I would like to focus on right now is the fact that the Lord has been able to use the suffering in the world in order to draw us to him, in order to grow us in a knowledge and understanding of him, that he has taken advantage of the decisions that others have made in order to make something better, in order to achieve, in order to obtain, to acquire something greater than he would have ever been able to have before. But it's not something that he instigated. It's something that he has taken advantage of. The living God wants you to know him for who he really is. And you can certainly grow to know him for who he truly is. Through the sufferings that you have experienced, you can know his character. You can know his love. You can know his long-suffering, his forgiveness. These are things that you can grow to know about him. 
that the devil and his angels, his demons, would never possibly grow to know, not even the angels who did not rebel, will ever be able to embrace what the Lord is able to reveal to you in light of what he has actually accomplished. Now, while we can say a lot about the temptations that the devil and his angels perpetrate on us, we can certainly say a lot about the temptations that he instigates or that we simply create in our own minds because of the temptations of the world, because of the lives that we have, we can do that to ourselves. In light of all of that, one thing I'd like to mention in this program is the notion that our God, in effect, our God tempts us in a unique way. He tempts us in a way that is different from the devil. In this way, in the way that he tempts us, is he tempts us with himself to come out of the world, to come out of the life of sin, to come out of the life of suffering. He tempts us with that. He says, listen, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to live a life of emptiness, to live a life of vanity. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live your life not ever knowing the love that you truly have a need for. He tempts us with the gospel. He tempts us to come out of the world. And so we should respond to that. Respond to that and understand that there is a greater way. There is something much greater than what we know when we do not know him. You know, when the Lord created Adam and Eve, he certainly could have a very unique relationship with them. It was a limited relationship, limited in the sense that they had no exposure to pain and suffering. They had no exposure to the knowledge of good and evil. They had no exposure to these things, and so he could have an interactive relationship with them to the extent that he would participate with them. They could participate with him, be involved in the things that he was doing with regards to the animals that he created, the garden that he made. He asked them to participate in taking care of the garden, and we have an indication that they certainly did that. So he did have an opportunity to have a relationship with Adam and Eve, but I want you to consider that it was a limited one, a very limited relationship in that sense. Now, when the fall took place, there was a new relationship that he could have with people, but this relationship was even more limited. I would say more limited in the sense that he could not relate to people in the way that he could with Adam and Eve, and that this relationship that he had with people was more limited. Limited in the sense that while he could give the law, he gave the law as his contribution to mankind's great effort to try to be like him through obedience, repentance and obedience, which we certainly have a long history of failure at, he could have a different relationship with people than he had with Adam and Eve, but it was more limited. But through the gospel, through forgiveness, through reconciliation, through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, he now has something more than what he could have had with Adam and Eve. Because of the suffering, because of the failure, because of the sin, he can now work with more. There's more that he can work with. He could not show Adam and Eve his long-suffering and his forgiveness for them, not in the same way that he can do now, because they did not really understand 
the need for forgiveness. They had not lived a life of suffering like you have been able to live a life of suffering, like you have been able to live a life with sin so that you now have an appreciation for his forgiveness in the way that Adam and Eve could not have experienced. But this relationship I would not describe as being a better relationship in the sense that it is less limited or more limited. At this time, I would say that we have a relationship with him that is unlimited. That to me, there is a lifetime opportunity, an opportunity to the extent where I don't think that we will live long enough to be able to enjoy the growth and the development and the increase in our knowledge of our God. I don't think we can live long enough in order to really embrace all that he can now share with us that he could not have shared with Adam and Eve, and he certainly could not have shared with those before the crucifixion and resurrection, that now in the new creation in Christ Jesus, there is an unlimited opportunity And that's what I want to explain to you, is that there is an unlimited opportunity for growth and for a relationship with our God that he has been able to achieve because of the decisions that others have made. Because of the decisions that the demons made, the people made throughout history, because of these decisions, our God has been able to achieve great things that can now be described as unlimited in terms of what he can accomplish right now. Consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, and I mentioned this briefly in other previous programs. In verse 12, it says, To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. We have an opportunity to know those things and understand those things that the demons or the angels could never have been able to experience. And I do not believe that they will ever grow in a knowledge of those things that you know about your God are things that the devil could have never known. And when you testify of these things, I don't think that he can fully comprehend or even come close to comprehending what it is that you testify of, outside of the fact that the living God said something about having an intimate personal relationship with his beings that the devil may have heard of, when you testify that this is real, I don't think he can truly accept or understand the testimony that we can present. I don't think that he really has the capacity to understand that. So what has been going on? What has he really been using? Well, he has been using... The law, that was his lie. That was what he presented in the Garden of Eden. And you may notice that the Lord did not give Adam and Eve any warning about this. For that reason and a few others, it's my belief that the devil rebelled as a result of the temptation that Adam and Eve were to him, that they were an opportunity for him to live in a different way, to promote himself as a God, promote himself as a lawgiver, perhaps reflect his image within and through us, which, of course, was not accomplished. It was accomplished to an extent, to a degree, but not in the way that God could, because there is a unique space within each one of us that only the Holy Spirit can fill. 
The devil cannot, I see no evidence to show, that the devil can occupy this unique space that our God has created within us. For this reason and a few others, I could suggest that, yes, a person who is dwelt by the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, I do believe that a demonic being can also be within some degree of proximity to the extent where he might very well be within you or afflicting a part of your body or something like that, that there could be some degree of proximity. I don't know what those limits are because that goes into a different realm. It goes into the spiritual realm, not the physical realm of reality. And I do not know enough about the spiritual dimension to be able to describe this geometrically or geographically. I can refer to Job chapter 1 when the devil walked right into the presence of God in his throne room in the presence of other people who were recognized as being the sons of God. And so I don't think it is unrealistic to say that he could perhaps occupy us in a physical sense within the spiritual dimension and yet not have access to the unique space within our spirit. I believe that the Lord has made that space in such a way that only he will be able to occupy it that there's no way that the devil can fulfill that or any of his demons. And so I feel quite comfortable with describing us in that way. But what I would like to mention is the fact that the devil used the law in order to try and take us from our God. He advertised this as an improvement by saying to Eve, listen, all you need to know is what is good and evil And you can be like God. And he knows this, and this is why he hasn't told you this. He wants to put you down. He wants to keep you down. You could be greater. You could be better, which of course is not true. But he believed this, or at least I believe the devil believed this, seems to be the case when I consider his behavior, that he believed that there could be something greater achieved than what God created. He suggested that if we use the law in our lives, if we appropriate the law in our lives, and what's the problem with that? If we know what is good and we know what is evil, just do that which is good. He's not necessarily saying that if we know what is good and evil, we could do that which is evil, and then everything could be quite impressive. I don't think that that was his direct intent, but for those who would like to follow along that path, I believe he is accommodating them. But what I see his predominant work being... I believe that the devil's work is predominantly on the good side, that he wants people to live according to that which is good so that they can try to achieve something greater, and he can claim credit for the greater achievements that might be made, so that he can boast before God and say, you see, you created something that was pretty good, but I have created something that is even greater, and so because of that, I should have some legitimacy. I should have some credibility with you. I should have some recognition of being a great being that I am like God. The law was an opportunity for him to pursue this, but what was not clearly described, or at least I don't think that the Lord described this clearly to the devil, if he did, it certainly was ignored, but we know this now. We know that God did not create us to live according to the law. He created us to live in a dependent relationship with him. But in general, you're going to find that people do not want to believe that. People are unwilling to trust the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They are not willing to trust him. They are not willing to trust that he will lead them into a life 
that is not of sin, but that is of something greater. With this failure to trust the Holy Spirit, people will continually turn to the law, wanting to be led and guided by the knowledge of good and evil, because they are unwilling to believe that the Lord will not lead us into a life of sin. It is because of this fear that people will continue to embrace the law for themselves and say, well, I know there must be a better way, but because I am afraid, I'm going to stick with the knowledge of good and evil and just try to do what's right. Just try not to do that which is wrong. And that will be my way. I will try to live a life of holiness because I'm afraid of this other way of life. They know full well that the Lord does not want us to live a life of indulging the flesh. And they know that he does not want us to live a life of restraining the flesh, but instead live in some other way. People know that in general. They recognize that there must be something else because this life of trying to restrain the flesh just isn't working. There must be another way because it's not working. But they are afraid to pursue it because they do not know what it is. You must step out in faith to walk in this newness of life, trusting that God will show you this other way of living that has nothing to do with the restraint of the flesh or the indulgence of the flesh. Consider the trees in the Garden of Eden. There were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is both the knowledge of evil and the knowledge of good. If you are living according to evil, you're definitely in this tree. But if you are living according to that which is good, you're still in this tree. There is the tree of life, the tree of life that we do have access to, but it is certainly not the physical tree that was in the Garden of Eden. It is the Lord Jesus. He is the tree of life. And he lives within you if you have been resurrected according to the gospel, according to the new covenant. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you have Jesus within you. You have the living God living within you to guide you and lead you, to relate to you in a way that you can understand so that you may grow to know who he is. This is the reality that was foreshadowed by the tree of life. And it certainly is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the devil advertised to Adam and Eve that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was their opportunity for freedom. It was their opportunity for improvement. It was their opportunity to become greater than what they were at that time. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus is the true message of where freedom can be found, of where greatness can be found. And the Lord our God tempts people with this message. And this is a temptation that I believe people should definitely give into. Give in to the temptation of our God. Recognize that there is a true and living God. Recognize that there is another law. This is the law of the spirit of life in Romans chapter 8 verse 2. That the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Recognize that there is another covenant and reject the devil and his message. Reject the devil and his gospel and accept the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
which results in freedom from the law. And how does this happen? This happens first by embracing the forgiveness of sins. Once you rest in the forgiveness of sins, then you realize that there is no punishment that will ever be given or executed upon you for sin. When there is no punishment, there is no law. And when there is no law, you can now live in a new way of life. Some people will certainly use this as an excuse to live a life of the indulgence of the flesh. But there are some who will not. And I believe that those who will not make it worth it. Certainly, many people will use the truth of God inappropriately. But that is not an acceptable reason to hide the truth of God from ourselves or from others. You must believe the Lord and trust Him. Trust Him. I mean, think about it. What do you really have to lose? Without the truth of the gospel, everyone is lost. With the truth of the gospel, some will not be. It is better for some to embrace the truth of forgiveness, to embrace the truth of freedom from the law, to walk in the newness of life. It is better for some to walk in the newness of life than none to walk in the newness of life because we hold people in bondage to the law. Now, as I mentioned in the previous program, he did not create us to live according to the law. Did God make you in a way that you could fly through the air by flapping your arms? Did he make you in a way that you could live in the ocean without being able to breathe down there? Did he make you that way? Then why is it so difficult to say or to consider that he didn't make you to live according to the law either? He didn't make you to live according to the knowledge of good and evil any more than he made you to live in the air or to live in the ocean. So why did he give the law? To show us that. To show us that he contributed to this effort eventually through the efforts of humanity, following the serpent, following the devil, saying we just need to know what's good and evil. Well, the Lord gave us some time to figure that out. Obviously, this wasn't working out for us, and so he established the nation of Israel, established the nation according to the law, gave the law, made his contribution. In effect, he said, listen, you folks are not doing very well with this, and so let me help you out. I'm going to give you the law. Here you go. Here's a good law. Use this. Let's see how you do with this. And then he gave us plenty of time in order to work it out. Plenty of time. And eventually, he declared that that's enough time. And so he came as the Lord Jesus and said, you know what? This is it. We're going to institute a new covenant because the law is not working. He gave the law for several reasons to establish the nation of Israel, to make his contribution towards this great effort of living according to the knowledge of good and evil, to condemn us. He gave the law to condemn us so that we could be properly condemned, so that we could have an appreciation for the reconciliation that he provided through the Lord Jesus, through the gospel. He provided many prophetic inferences through the law, through the festivals and the work of the Messiah. He provided many foreshadowings and so that we could understand different subjects. The rest in Christ Jesus, as opposed to the rest in one day a week, according to the Sabbath law. Many reasons why the law was given, but it certainly was not given so that we might know who our God is. There is no law that was ever given, and he never suggested in the law that you would ever know him if you lived in obedience to it. The law stirs up sin, stirs up sin through the natural rebellion of humanity, stirs up sin by giving us more things to think about not doing, 
stirs up sin by giving us religious pride and stirs up sin through separating us from God when we fail to live up to the expectations that the law requires. So the law was given for many important purposes. Use it for those purposes. Those purposes can certainly apply today. But do not forget that there is another way of life and that this way of life is according to the new covenant outside of the law. Because if you fail to recognize this, then you will never be able to experience the unlimited life, the unlimited growth, the unlimited relationship that our God tempts us with when he says there is another way. And this other way has to do with faith. It has to do with salvation. It has to do with the gospel. It has to do with things that are described by the armor of God. In the next program, I'll talk about the armor of God, which is, of course, a very popular subject. There are many people who begin their days, for example. They start their day by appropriating or putting on the armor of God. And I can't help but wonder when I hear things like that, I can't help but wonder, well, how did it come off? When did it come off? And I'll tell you that the reason why I wonder that is not just because they have to do it every morning, but it's because I know that the law will take it off. I know that a life in pursuit of holiness will take it off. I know that when people do not believe that they have salvation, they will eventually take it off. If they believe that the Lord holds their sins against them, it will eventually come off because you cannot live simultaneously in faith, in salvation, in the peace of the gospel, you cannot live simultaneously in these things that are described by the armor of God and also the law of God which condemns you to the extent where you cannot be at rest, you cannot be at peace with God, you cannot truly live in the security of what is described by the armor of God. And so in the next program, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the law. Again, in this context, I'll then talk about the armor. But think about that. Think about how the armor is overcome, not by the enemy, but by our own false beliefs. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Can you make-